You're now listening to Hack and Grow Rich with Shaheen Shayan and his co-host, Bart Baggett, where we discuss hacking your way to success and the unconventional paths to unreasonable success with the people who've been there. And now, the author of Billion, How I Became King of the Thrill Pill Cult, Shaheen Shayan. Uh, I just, anyway, I just want to start because I don't want to give away everything I'm thinking. So I'll give you a three, two, one, and we're going to go. You ready? Ready. Three, two, one. I'm grinning because Shaheen Shane, I've interviewed a lot of people. You have absolutely one of the most fascinating backstories I have ever heard in my entire life. When I, you put this ridiculous success aside, just the fact that you started where you started, you traveled where you traveled through your teen years and ended up where you are is such an extraordinary story. I mean, you are currently ranked the number one Amazon accelerator. I love this. I love this. People have called you the Willy Wonka of Generation X. Your new book is called <laughs> How I Became King of the Thrill Pill Cult, which invites tons of questions right there. I'm, I'm fascinated. I almost don't want to say anything. I almost want to just say why, how, and when, and let you go. Cause I'm like fascinated by your backstory. You, you, your family immigrated from Iran and you were living in your car on Venice beach at 16, fill in some dots. Yeah. How did totally. all this happen? I mean, I, I'm telling the story. I want to hear from you. Yeah. Well, thanks for having me on, Randy. Absolutely. So I started off when I started off when I was born and I was born in Iran. <laughs> uh, pretty, pretty cool. And I was top of the heap there. I thought I was doing really well. Family, solid middle class. We moved to the United States, realized very quickly that we were no longer middle class, but we were poor. And we moved to an affluent part of the United States called Pacific Palisades. It was up and coming. My folks managed to buy a house there some way, somehow. You know, they scrapped together all the money they could. My dad worked at pizza shops and at dry cleaners, whatever he could do so that they could afford a house. We bought a house there, didn't have any money to fix it up. And, you know, worked, worked our fingers to the bone for years. And suddenly that neighborhood became gentrified. That whole area became one of the most affluent areas in LA. And growing up being this little Iranian kid, I didn't even speak English. I remember thinking to myself, man, look at that. That's a Mercedes. And look at that guy. He's got a Porsche and a beautiful blonde girlfriend. Oh, look, that guy's got two of them. Man, wow, I want that. So I find myself being 15 years old, walking up to my parents going, all right, so tell me, tell me how you get that. What's the path to that? And of course, my dad being this poor working class guy, my mom being just a normal housewife, all people that, you know, just worked for everything they got, you know, sold their hours to make money. It's all they knew how to do. Um, said, well, you know, son, the, the, the best you can do is be a doctor. That's what they said. So I thought to myself, man, you know, okay, well, that's good. Sign me up for that. I want all that stuff. And they said, well, we don't exactly know how you become a doctor. So go talk to Mr. Tehrani across the street. He's rich. And I thought, all right, fuck, let me go talk to that guy. 
So I walked over there. The dude barely had any time. He's bald. I looked. The wife was bald and fat. He was bald and fat. The kids were bald and fat. Everyone's bald and fat. Everyone's yelling at each other, not happy. I was asking about his house, asking about his cars. He didn't own the house. He didn't own the cars. He wasn't happy. He was selling his hours. So I thought, fuck, man, if that's the path, the only path, I'm out. Now, I had had pretty good success making money as an adolescent. Um, I had started a uh, criminal enterprise in my adolescence at elementary. A, a criminal enterprise? Yes, sir. A criminal, an enterprise of crime, Randy. <laughs> in Pacific what, Palisades. <laughs> that's right, sir. A grade school. And what we did was I gathered up all the kids who didn't speak English, all the minority kids, the kids that had something wrong with them, the kid in a wheelchair. One kid was a midget, little person, whatever you call them now. And we created a little gang. We would go into these liquor stores and we would create a little bit of a distraction and the little midget kid would wear baggy pants and he would stuff his pants with nudie magazines and little those little air, airport bottles of liquor and glue and whatever, what a candy, whatever else we could get our hands on. We would resell it at school. And pretty soon we became known as the people you would come to to get things illicit or not. Nothing too crazy, but the usual stuff, cigarettes, alcohol, porno magazines which were popular at that time before the internet for any younger people i recall the time (laughs) i i recall the time and yes yes yeah we we, know it well right we did not have easy access as many of you guys no we did not we had to swipe it or we weren't going to see it yeah oh yeah Uh, yep 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 yeah so you know uh, the thing i realized about that period of my life randy was that I was really fucking bad at crime. I was a bad criminal, great at making money, but we would get caught every time. And I remember thinking to myself as an adolescent, dude, Shaheen, like if there's one thing you shouldn't be doing, it's crime. There are people that are good at crime and then there's you. You are not good at crime, sir. Every single time you get caught, this leads to one place for you. So 15 years old, talking to my parents, talking to this, you know, fat doctor dude. And I'm like, you know what? This isn't going to work for me. I'm out. And I bailed, cut all my ties. Didn't really have many friends in those days. And I just left. I was like, you know what? I'm going to burn my ships. I'm going to go out there, seek my fame and fortune. I had, you left that. You left organized crime. You left the organized, I left the illustrious world of Of organized Pacific Palisades, organized (laughs) crime for the world at large. And I decided to go find my fame and fortune. I had read the books of Napoleon Hill and this other guy named Stuart Wilde, who I later befriended and Wayne Dyer and all those personal development, Tony Robbins, all those old school guys. And I knew that there, there was a path beyond what my parents knew. They just didn't have the tools to show me. Let me interject though. Here's what you've already said. That's fascinating. You're a teenager reading that stuff. Oh, no, I was an adolescent reading that stuff. I was right. reading that stuff before I was a teenager. Oh, okay. But I'm saying that's that's just that in and of itself is a fascinating aspect of the story that I didn't even know. Because to me, I'm, I'm making a little bit of a leap because I've been thinking this, reading about you, reading your book. It seems to me it's not that you're anti-education. You wanted the education you wanted on your terms. Look, Randy, I believe in efficiency. The thing that anybody that knows me and loves me as my friend will know that the thing that bothers me more than anything is inefficiency. When I go into a business and I, you know, they, the food isn't great or, you know, something's not working. I get that. 
But when I go somewhere and that operation is inefficient for no good reason, that makes me turn red and want to explode from the inside out. I am the guy that will spend an hour on the phone with the postmaster about the local post office, which I never go to, to explain to him why it is not running efficiently and how he can improve it. These are things that are built in to our psyche that can never be removed. And when I have a business or a client or a student, now I teach people how to make money on Amazon and I focus on how people can be more efficient in life and build foundational wealth. When I teach about efficiency, people understand why I'm so passionate about that. But with that said, yeah, I, I was you know, a, a 15 year old and I had already read all this stuff and I was interested in personal development. I was interested in improving myself. And as far as education goes, I didn't care where it came from. Mm -hmm. I just wanted it to be efficient. Schools mm -hmm. don't teach you how to make money. If you want to learn to cut open a dude's chest and repair his heart, and by the way, that's an operation that happens with 18 different people. I know this because my brother had that operation. It's a team of 18 people, and each of them has a specific amount of specialized knowledge. One guy cuts it open. The other guy is there to look at the aorta. The other guy does this. So it's very, very specific, and there's a number of people involved. Then, yes, you need a formal education because that's the only place you can go to learn how to do that correctly. But if you are interested in making money, then the current education system has nothing mm -hmm. to do with that. And you would be much better served just going out there and doing business. I graduated from college, got married, did not know that the credit card we were so proud that we had had interest, didn't know what it was. Oh. Didn't know what it was. <laughs> yeah. And, and that did not work out well, as you might guess. <laughs> that became a problem fairly early on. So I hear you. I hear yeah. you in that. But so you're 16. You've left home, left home, went to sleep on the beach. I figured out that if you made friends with real estate brokers, that they would share the lockbox codes with you to properties that are being built. So I realized that LA was in a building boom. There were thousands of luxury apartments that were somewhere in the middle of construction or halted mid construction. And they would allow lockboxes for the brokers to go show clients, look at this beautiful Hollywood apartment that you can have in 12 months. And I could sneak in there at night, crash. Maybe it wouldn't have power. Maybe it wouldn't have running water. That would all be fine. Crash in a sleeping bag, wake up in the morning and be out before the brokers came or before the owners or contractors or whatever. And so I would do that. I would hang out at the community college. I would, I would eat hot dog buns and relish because they were free at the hot dog stands. And that's how I would live and get by. And I managed to get myself a mentor. I got involved in the electronic music scene and uh, the big rave scene that was burgeoning at the time. And I remember thinking to myself, um, I got to start making some money. I didn't leave home to just hang out and have fun. It's great to hang out and have fun, but I wanted to make money. That's why I left home. I could have stayed home and, and done what I'm doing now. And I started looking at these underground parties that were flourishing in the early 1990s, the rave scene. And what I noticed was that the people who were making the money were not the people throwing the parties or handling the music. It was the drug dealers. So it occurred to me in a moment of great revelation 
that that sounds great. I'm going to do that. These guys have the nice cars. They've got the beautiful girls. They got all the trappings of wealth. It's fast, little effort, big reward. And then I looked back, Randy, to my adolescence and my career of crime. <laughs> and I had those two guys sitting on my shoulders. You remember in the old timey cartoons? Oh, I do. Oh, you I know. The, yeah, the devil and the angel. They're, they're they here right talking. now. They're here right now. Yep. They're there right now. <laughs> and they were, they were talking to me. And I realized that I should not be involved in crime. And this certainly was a crime. So that was out of the question. But in that moment, a second revelation hit me. Like the Book of Mormon. The revelation that hit me was, man, if I could create an alternative to the biggest party drug of that time, one called herbal ecstasy, if I could create an alternative that had no side effects, if I create an alternative that was natural and legal, made with natural herbs, I could get rich pretty quick without the risk, without the life of crime. So that's what I did. I went about a journey to figure out how I could create a pill that would replicate the effects of ecstasy in those days and how I could do it with little or no money, which I didn't have at that time. I managed to get myself a girlfriend, which was miraculous considering I was broke, had nowhere to live and was living off hot dog buns and relish. Um, and I managed to convince her to allow me to cook up prototypes in her kitchen as her dad left. I would enter in through the back door. This guy was some big stuffy superintendent of some district accountant, something. And he would leave through the front door in his fancy car. And I would come in through the back door and we'd be cooking this stuff up, prototypes in her kitchen until one day I got a formula that worked miraculously. And I knew that that was it, time to sink or swim. So I went to the largest drug dealer um, of that time in the club, in one of the underground clubs. And I remember walking up and this was a scary guy, tattoos on his face, you know, the teardrop. I don't know, he killed someone in jail, some crazy thing. He had one expression, which was not happy. And I remember walking up to him, he looks at me, he goes, fuck off, kid. I got no, you know, I got no supply. Now, I was at the right place at the right time. The supply of ecstasy had completely dried up. There was more demand for it than ever. The rave scene was growing and expanding, but there was no supply. So this stuff was made in Europe, and the, the, the just say no to drugs was getting big. Dare was getting big. All the attorney generals were clamping down, down on drugs coming into the United States. So the supply chain was broken, and there was really nobody who knew how to make it here. So these guys didn't have product. And I was entering in at that time, and I had this baggies of goo-filled sort of pills. We had to roll them by hand into something that looked like pills because I didn't have enough money <laughs> to buy the machine to put the powder into capsules. And I remember handing the guy a baggie and him looking at me like he was going to kill me and say, what the fuck is this? And he goes, I'm going to kill you. And I said, well, before you do that, you may want to consider, and I gave him the whole pitch that... He didn't have supply. I had supply, the stuff. And he looks at me. And just in that moment, right time, right place, being in the flow, two people walk up to him and they hand him cash. He hands it back. They hand it back to him. A little bit of an argument ensues. Turns out that they really wanted their product because they were there at the party to use it. He motions over to me. I hand him a baggie nervously, my hand shaking. He grabs my entire backpack, tells one of the bodyguards to watch me, says, don't leave. And she says, come back in a couple hours. Longest two hours of my life. Sweating in that club, sweating bullets. Two hours passes. I'm looking around. 
He seems to be happy. Everyone seems to be happy, but you just can't tell. Bodyguard motions for me to come over. Now I'm staring at this guy in the face and I'm looking at him and, and looking at the scars on his face and kind of the, the war-torn rough look of a dude that's really, you know, been to jail, a, a real old-time drug dealer. And thinking to myself, man, I'll wash his car, I'll rotate his tires, whatever he wants if he doesn't kill me. I'll do anything for this guy not to kill me. My goal tonight is to not get killed. That would be a good night. And he's just looking at staring at me directly in the eyes and then finally he says kid when can you get me more and it was legal you were creating a completely legal substitute at 16 17 yeah and for an illegal drug and so it went from one guy to a thousand guys to ten thousand guys and it exploded all over the world these drug dealers became legitimized by carrying my product, stopped selling illicit drugs. A lot of them got franchises. A lot of them got territories, became distributors. I made more millionaires in the 1990s through the rave scene and the electronic music scene than anybody. We were selling at Lollapalooza at all the big concerts and tours. We went on tour with the Beastie Boys and Prodigy and all the big bands of those days. We were selling more pills than the beer vendors were selling beer at concerts, which was a huge feat. We were in 30,000 retail stores, Urban Outfitters, 7-Eleven. We were sold at record stores, sex stores. Larry Flint was selling our product. We were one of the biggest things to come out of the 1990s. And then I'll tell you, one day I walked into my office. Now, I was sleeping in abandoned buildings, backseat of cars. Now I'm living in a luxury apartment. I've got a collection of boats, cars, planes, helicopters, all that stuff I had access to. I had a collection of very exotic cars. I fell asleep because I would sleep about two hours a day in those days. Things were so busy. We were printing money, literally. We would make these pills for 25 cents. I would resell them for $20, mainly cash business. And the money would just be piling up, literally, in duffel bags. And I remember I walked into the office. I had fallen asleep drooling on the passenger seat of my brand new Lamborghini. Not a good look. By the way, you don't want to drool on Italian cars. They don't respond well to it. And I remember walking in. My neck was a little stiff. I walked into my office. What the fuck is going here? Everyone's staring. Secretary's white as a ghost. Turns out the news broke that we had exceeded a billion dollars in revenue pre-internet, pre-Facebook, pre-social media, pre-mobile phones, pre-all that stuff, pre-influencers. And what happened was... All the press was outside. Sam Donaldson, the great reporter, was waiting outside in a limo waiting to interview me for Nightline. You guys can see that on YouTube. I was on the Montel Williams show. We were on Newsweek, LA Times, New York Times, all over the world. And it was a wild ride. And I remember thinking to myself two things in that moment. The first thing, holy shit, I don't know how much a billion dollars actually is. I didn't realize literally what a billion dollars was. Was it a million, 100 million, 10 billion? I, I don't know what it meant. The second thing I realized is, shit, man, I need to get an accountant. And then I very quickly learned a lesson that I think, Randy, will be very good for you and the people listening to this, is that accountants, turns out, are not the people that count the stacks of cash in between the pills in the duffel bag stacked up in your office. That is not what accountants do. 
Let me, I have to throw the dog in the garage just a second. <laughs> There's so many different things. So you're a multimillionaire by the time you're 18. But the part of the story I didn't understand from before, the books you were reading, the drive that you had as a child, the, the fact that you ultimately went into a, a very legal business. I don't condone, I'm really ignorant about drugs. I don't really know anything that the most outrageous thing I've ever done a smoke pot. And it's been ages since I've done that. Yeah. I don't drink. I quit smoking cigarettes. <laughs> I'm just so boring. So I don't know anything about it. So I don't endorse stuff, but I think getting information is fascinating. And I think it's important that we do it. Sure. I love it that it was ultimately legal, but I have to believe you dealt with a lot of controversy. You had to deal with criticism, aggression, and you had to learn a lot about how to deal with people coming after you. Yeah. And as I say that, I'm having some not drugs. I'm a big fan of CBD oil. <laughs> you know what? And it hasn't had any impact on me when I've tried it. Okay. So you're not doing the right stuff. I'll contact you off the show. There's a couple brands that sent us samples for my show and they're spectacular. There's some right. that do nothing, but there's a couple that are exceptional. There's one, I got, we can give them a shout out. One is called Ojai Energetics. Fantastic product. Tastes a little weird, but it's good. And the other one's called Receptra. Fantastic. Very, totally different than the other ones that are out there, but I'll, um, I could actually probably have them send you some. So, yeah. So, so back to what you were saying. Yeah, I agree. I don't espouse the use of any drugs. and I'm too busy making money on Amazon right now, teaching people how to do that, um, to do anything like that. But look, drugs ultimately I see as electricity. And I'll tell you why. Uh, an old teacher of mine, this guy, Stuart Wilde, who wrote this book called The Trick to Money is Having Some, used to say that it's neither good nor bad. Rather, it's a tool. And the way that you use it defines the result that you get from it. And I'll tell you why. So similar to electricity, you could use it to electrocute somebody, right? I'm against the death penalty, but you could use it to electrocute somebody and kill them. And that's probably not a good use of electricity. Or you could use it to <clears throat> power a ventilator that sends somebody, saves somebody's life who's on a... Uh, uh, you know, in, in the ICU. So electricity has both of those functions. Is it good or is it bad? Neither. It's just a tool and it's how we use it. I feel drugs, drugs have been vilified for the most part, just because societally, we don't have the bandwidth to go into nuance about these things. And that's really the bigger problem. The bigger problem is that, especially with today's culture, that there's really, excuse me, <clears throat> I just got over COVID myself. Uh, there's, there's really little talk in today's culture about nuance. Everybody wants things neatly put aside, put in a very clean box that we can understand. Are you this or are you that? Is it this or is it that? But the way things work in the real world is that there's lots of shades of gray. So as you could say, you, you tried pot at one point in your life. It didn't destroy you. You didn't become some raging drug addict running through the streets selling your color TV for, uh, you know, a little bit of a little bit of weed. Did not do that. <laughs> yeah. So most drugs are 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 safe 
if treated correctly. But what I do now is coach entrepreneurs. And I never had a, a super crazy life of drugs. It, it was never something that I was into. I also don't drink, don't smoke. I don't do any of that stuff. I'll have a glass of wine with a meal, something like that, but that's about it. Is, is that I don't feel that those things make you a better entrepreneur. I think they don't make you a better business person. So as far as looking at it through that lens, I tell a lot of people, especially young people who I'm mentoring, that dude, like, worry about that when you're older. Worry about that when you have legacy. Worry, worry about that when you have wealth to protect. Worry about that when you are all set. Right now, it's a distraction. And you don't need that to distract you in your life. You should only be focusing on things that improve your cognition, improve and enhance you as a person and your entrepreneurial life. So that's kind of where I'm coming from with that. But I think we lost track or I lost track. Well, no, I mean, but that's still part of what your business is because you're still into a huge part of the business and the, the products you've supported are really to support brain, um, brain functionality. Yeah, yeah. So what happened after uh, Herbal Ecstasy is a good question. So, you know, that company ran for a while. We were very successful, made hundreds of millions of dollars over the course of the next several years. And what happened was that that slowly fizzled out. The government really came aggressively after us. And eventually, we had to stop selling those specific products. They banned our main ingredients. I went on to invent all the technology that now you see as vapes and vaporization, which also I don't espouse. So you can say that the, the inventor of digital vaporization <laughs> doesn't espouse its use. Also don't think that's uh, particularly good for you. Um, but, you know, as a harm prevention measure to smoking, maybe. Uh, and that was very successful. That company went public. I sold it just before it did. And I went into looking more at nootropics. I invented this great nootropic called Accelerol that's available on Amazon now. And I was looking at this little guy, this like kind of nerdy guy called Jeff Bezos. And oh, Bezos, yeah, I've heard of him. Yeah, you heard of him. Yeah. Yeah. And Bezos wasn't the swinging billionaire he is now with, uh, you know, all the yachts and the money and the wealthiest guy in the world. He was this little nerd. And I started looking at him going, wait a second, something's going on here. And you could contact Bezos in those days. He would respond to your emails. You could get him on the phone if you needed to. He was accessible. And we heard through the grapevine that Bezos was opening up his third-party platform to third-party sellers, people like you and me to sell anything we wanted to on that platform. And it was easy. It took me 15 minutes. I was like, let me list Accelerol. I woke up to hundreds of thousands of dollars in sales in one night selling my product on there. And I thought, yeah, there's more to this Bezos guy than meets the eye. And as I researched him, I learned that this guy was not just building some bookstore. He was building what was going to be the greatest disruptor to e-commerce uh, that the world has ever known, much more mm -hmm. the, the greatest disruptor to retail that the world has ever known. And I thought, man, I want to become an expert at this. And that's what we did. And since then, this was 2008, 2009. Since then, we have become one of the best, biggest Amazon sellers in the world. And I teach people every day through my Amazon mastery course, how you too can start an Amazon company and profit from this incredible structure that Jeff has built. And, you know, I have a one hour course. It's normally 200 bucks for anybody who's listening to you, who's interested. I'm going to give it to them for free. 
the $200 one hour course for free. Uh, if you just mention Randy. So all you got to do is put Randy in the subject heading. I'm going to give out my private email is darkzess at gmail.com, D-A-R-K-Z-E-S-S at gmail.com. Hopefully, Randy will include it in the show notes as well. Reach out to me. It's still day one. People don't understand this. People think, oh, Amazon's long gone. They're, you know, that opportunity's gone. There's too many people doing it. Everyone's selling on Amazon. It is day one. We are at the beginning of the internet with what's happening with e-commerce. And if you can learn to create legacy wealth by building an Amazon company and building a brand, I can show you how to do it. Please reach out to me. Anyone who's interested in the uh, program is also FBA for Fulfillment by Amazon, fbasellercourse.com. So those are the two things. And the uh, herbal ecstasy story, Randy, if people are interested, my book just dropped. It's called Billion, How I Became King of the Thrill Pill Cult. I appreciate that you read it. The Audible book also just dropped. It's on Audible. Billion, How I Became King of the Thrill Pill Cult. And hopefully we'll- Has include- to be a movie. Somebody listen to me. Has to be a movie has to be a movie all you have to do is read the liner notes and you see that it's a movie you've heard you talking as you have telling your stories today how can we not have that be a film i appreciate that buddy and we just got a film deal um i got some producers very well-known producers that are doing a great job right now so we're looking for someone to play me as a kid and we are looking for a director and a studio. So if anyone's interested, reach out to me again. It's darkzess, D-A-R-K-Z-E-S-S at gmail.com. I answer all emails. You will get me directly. And if I can help you in any way, support you on your journey to wealth, that's what I'm here to do. I have one more question. I love the whole story. People read the book. <laughs> You know, go to you, which website is the very best website that you would point them to, to actually just learn more about you and your business. You want to learn about me. So we actually have a show called Hack and Grow Rich. If you guys your are listening podcast, to this, right. yeah, on Hack and Grow Rich, where can people get your podcast, Randy? I am on what www.jones.show is the website. It's jones.show, but you literally put jones.show on any podcast provider and you can find us jones.show on any. We're everywhere. I love that. I love that. And for for us, our show is Hack and Grow Rich. I do a weekly show with my co-host, Bart Baggett, and we talk about hacks and unconventional ways, inelegant ways to get to your destination quicker. So that's been my uh, focus and expertise. So go to Hack and Grow Rich, wherever podcasts are found, Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and also our YouTube channel, which is Hack and Grow Rich. If you want to get a hold of me, it's shaheenshan.com, and we will include that in the show notes. And uh, you can follow me on Instagram or uh, reach out to me directly. I love hearing from people and hearing what you think about me, what you think about the story. Make sure to get the book and leave a review. If you love it, if you hate it, let us know. I have one more question. Yeah. As I recall, you have a daughter. A son. A son. Okay. You have one child though, right? Yeah, one child. Okay, I couldn't remember. You have a son. How do you want him to be like you? Mm, Great question. What do you want him to learn from you? I think you're the ultimate risk versus reward story. I have never heard a risk versus reward story on this scale. I don't think you're going to tell him 
to go hang out on a beach at 16 and live there. I don't think you're going to, I don't know, maybe you are. So what is your risk versus reward advice for us? And how do you funnel all of this advice down to your own child or how will you? All right. So I'll get a little bit, uh, I guess I get a little bit more mystical on this topic because kids really are, are mystical creatures, completely inexplainable, inexplicable for the most part. So I'll, I'll give you a quote. Uh, this is from the great uh, writer Khalil Gibran, and I'm probably going to completely fuck up the quote, but it's, our children come through us, but not from us. And what he's saying there, and again, I probably fucked it up, but I think the spirit of what I'm saying is there, or the spirit of what he was saying is there, is that that may not be the right question, because it doesn't really matter what I would want him to do. It's what he's driven to do and what he's inspired to do. And as a parent, my goal is to show him what the possibilities are, what the opportunities are. And if he wants to grab those opportunities, if he wants to reach those levels, what some paths are to getting there. The thing that you cannot give a child is you cannot give a child grit. You cannot give a child struggle. You cannot give a child ambition. I can show you multiple examples of children whose parents really are pushing hard for them to be ambitious and they're sitting at home playing PlayStation. Yep, nope, and not going to happen. I agree. Yep. It's not going to happen. So as a parent, what you can do is be an inspiration by example. You can lay out the path and become a decision architect so that when they make the decision of what drives them, uh, that they know how to get there, or at least they have a few options. And you can foster those ideas that they have and encourage them to follow their heart and to be creative and to do the right thing. You could teach them how to become a good person. That's the most important thing for me. If my kid becomes a good person, and he's a great person now, but if as he grows up, he becomes a good person, then my mission as a parent is complete. Now, I know just by his personality that he's going to be successful. He's eight, but he's already started two businesses. <laughs> and um, he's been very active. He asks lots of questions about business. And, and I, I am delighted to have him remain a baby as long as possible because I love, you know, having him as a kid and hanging around. I don't think he should rush his childhood despite how driven he is. But ultimately, it's really going to be their own spirit that drives them. And every kid is different. And every human on this planet has to have, as Richard Koch says in his book, Unreasonable Success and How to Achieve It, a transformational experience. And the great shamans of antiquity, every great religion throughout time knows this, that there has to be a great transformation that takes a, a girl to a woman or a boy to a man. And it's in that period of transformation where you have a transformational experience, you meet a mentor, you have a, a great amount of travel, you, there's some traumatic event, something happens that changes you and shifts you and really forges your life path. And that can be experienced best naturally when it happens when you're just following your fascination and you have an aha moment, you have an aha experience. 
but it could also happen through seeking those kinds of experiences. And by being a, a curator of experiences for my kid and letting him choose his own journey, letting him make his own mistakes and showing him the path of, of discipline and the path of, of right over wrong and allowing him to make those decisions and make those mistakes, I think we can build strong character in our kids. And that's just my, my personal opinion. You can also let them become a fuck up and, and drag them out of rehab. Um, people do a that. Curator, I, I'm so <laughs> stuck on what you said. A curator of experiences, I think, is one of the most fascinating ways I've ever heard that said. Oh, thanks. What a phenomenal way. And I'm assuming you're going to be totally transparent. Your good decisions versus your bad. I mean, what I don't hide anything from my kids. Of course, I, I don't think I have much to hide, but I don't, you know, it, it's being transparent and letting them make their decisions. I'm very candid about my mistakes and what I think I do well and what I don't think I do well. And I've tried you to share to that. Be. Now, my kids are older, but I mean, yeah. Very you, transparent. You got to be. Kids are smart and they know and they can smell it. Remember those old TV ads where the kid walks in, uh, the dad walks in on the kid and he's smoking weed in the uh, in his bedroom. And the dad goes, Johnny, where did you get these drugs? And he looks up at his dad and he goes, I got them from watching you, dad. <laughs> this is a, a famous commercial during the Just Say No era in the 1980s. I remember that one too. <laughs> yeah. And it's, it's, it's really true. They learn by example as we do as people. So do as I say, not as I do, doesn't work. I, I have any number of places I can fade on that. I just, oh my God, Shaheen, I just, your whole energy, I get the whole thing. I know you're not, just, you're hardworking, but you're so charismatic and interesting and you say things nobody else says <laughs> and you have a perspective on it and you're fair. You're, you say, I did this and this part of it I'm happy with and this part of it, you know, the fact that, you know, vaping, you're even acknowledging you're not, you're not endorsing it. I mean, I'm fascinated with your whole story. And I mean, this could just go on and on and on. And uh, I will, I, do you want my edit? What we Absolutely. do my edit? Sure. Yeah. Why don't I just send you the edit? It's not going to be much. Uh, I, I record in two channels okay. and my son's an audio pro anyway, cause he went to full sale. So he's an audio film guy anyway. So mm -hmm. he'll clean it up. But I think when the dog was going off, that's going into my channel and you, I shut up and let you talk. No so problem. I don't think the dog's going to be there. And when you were drinking and <clears throat> I'll cut that kind of stuff out. And if there's any hiccups or whatever, and then I'll just send it to you the raw and then I'll release it. Actually, what's really Ginger Z is next week and you're the following week. And that really helps because following Ginger is great because so many you know, people know her and they really they <laughs> that'll that'll be a good lead in. So I'm really happy about that. So. Love that. Well, I really appreciate you having me on. I really appreciate all your kind words and support. That's awesome. How has this met your expectations Amazing. as a show? You're such a cool dude. So I, I really appreciate meeting you. And, you know, I do this partly to get the story out about my book and, you know, try to help people with the course, my Amazon course, but partly to meet cool people. And, you know, like, like you said, you've got a great energy as well. So I, I'm honored to be on, man. Thank you so much. I tell much. you, I'm 59 and I'm not done. <laughs> I'm 59 and I'm Clearly. not done. And I got my first fiction book deal. Oh, way, way to go, man. Congratulations. Yeah. Doing my first fiction book. And it was through somebody that came on Amelia's show. Love it. 
Love it. Which yeah. Is crazy. Uh, send me a link when you, when it, when it comes out, I'd love to get a copy. It, it'll be very sweet with no drug use. I, I okay. assure you it will be <laughs> a very, you know, and I'm not, you know, I mean the fact, yes, of course I've swiped cigarettes from a seven 11 and of course I swipe playboys and penthouse and stuff and I'm gay. I mean, what good did they do? me? But I mean, <laughs> Oh yeah, we all stole all that stuff. I mean, I didn't resell it, but I mean, yeah, we were stealing <laughs> stuff right and left. But I'm like, oh my God, my mom's gone. I don't want my dad to know that I stole. Pl-. But I so now I'm going to have to call my 90 year old father and say, before it comes out, I admitted on a show that I stole dirty <laughs> magazines. So, and of course, he just thinks I'm an idiot anyway. So, you're, you're going to confuse me. He's like, but you're gay. No, he doesn't. No, no, I cannot surprise the kids. I cannot surprise the dad. Nothing. He's 90 years old. He's the coolest human being you've ever met. He still lives at home. And anything I say or do, it's like, okay. He told me 30 years ago when he graduated or when he retired at 65, at 66, he called me and said, This won't work for you. Oh, man. He told me, and he's right. It wouldn't. I mean, I'm 59. I don't, I don't know how to not create. Yeah. I don't know how to do it. So I love anyway, it, this was fun. Yeah, I'll do an edit and I'll send you the edit within the next couple of weeks. And then we'll, oh. and you'll be going out two weeks from tomorrow. So love it. Congratulations. Thank you. Happy new year. Happy and I'll talk new to you year. soon. Okay. All right. Bye. Okay. Bye. Bye.